Hey, y'all. Did you know that 97% of U.S. wineries are small and 85% are classified as very small? That's why it's so hard to find your favorite wines and new small wine producers in stores. Somley wants to make it easier for wine lovers to discover, hear the story, and shop from producers of all sizes. The best part? You can bring the winery experience home with orders delivered right to your doorstep. It's easy and free to support your favorite wineries. At Somley.com, you can search for and favorite wineries, give wineries great reviews, and shop from wineries you won't find in retail. While you're there, you might discover some new ones to visit and even a wine club to join. It's at Somley.com. Welcome to This is Texas Wine. I'm Shelley Wilfong, a wine educator, writer, and Texas wine enthusiast. On this podcast, I share Texas wine news, interview the most important people in the Texas wine industry, and bring you the information you need to be a more informed Texas wine drinker. Thanks for joining me on this Texas wine journey. This is episode 63. Today, you'll hear from Phil Lopez of Silver Spur Winery in Heiko. He's a Texan who got into wine while living in California. Phil's done his fair share of cowboying and is most at home in the vineyard. You're going to love what Phil has to say about Texas wine. And after 62 episodes, finally, someone wore a cowboy hat to the interview. But first, the Texas wine news. Whether you're a regular listener or joining in for the first time, welcome to This is Texas Wine. Vine Pair named the Texas Hill Country one of the world's top 10 wine destinations for 2023. The list of the best wine destinations celebrates up-and-coming wine regions, producers that are innovating and even creating new high-quality appellations, and some beloved destinations that have revamped attractions. The author says that while wines might not be on the radar of drinkers across the country yet, the Texas Hill Country has an enthusiastic community of producers putting the region on the map as a must-visit wine destination in the U.S., She says that over the past several years, Texas Hill Country wineries have honed in on their region's distinct terroir and experimented with what grapes work best in the area, and the results are showing. From elegant Sangioveses and Mouved-based blends to bold Tempranillo and Tanat, there are a lot of exciting varieties to explore. The author mentions the private treehouse tasting at Sandy Road Vineyards, the cave tasting at Slate Theory, and even mentions the Passport Program, where you can go from winery to winery with complimentary tastings from participating wineries that happen several times a year, and the next one is in October. There are other local businesses mentioned, too, like Cabernet Grill, the William Chris Supper Club, the upcoming Albert Hotel, as well as Six Twists, a new sparkling wine bar. And FYI, the other wine regions that are listed are Ica Valley in Peru, Puglia, Italy, Penendez, Spain, Santa Ynez Valley in California, Havar, Croatia, the Loire Valley in France, Auckland, New Zealand, Setubal, Portugal, and a place in Georgia that I probably should not attempt to pronounce. That's the country of Georgia, obviously. Hey, Vine Pear has also named the Becker Reserve Chardonnay from Talent Vineyards in the Texas Hill Country as one of the 30 best Chardonnays for 2023. They say this is a food wine and that the big sky shining down on these grapes is giving the Chardonnay a Texas feel. It has a rich nose with a soft touch of oak and wonderful medium depth on the palate and a good weight. You could sit at a tailgate and watch the sun go down with this one. 
The Association of African American Vintners, AAAV, just recently released the recipients of its 2023 Wine Entrepreneur Grant. Each winner will receive $5,000 to positively impact their operations, marketing, or innovation efforts to help and grow their wine business. One winner is Sheremy Aho. Sheremy Wine of Texas is a former U.S. Marine on a mission to share Texas wine with the world. AAAV Executive Director Angela McRae said, Many of our Vintner members are balancing full-time jobs while self-funding their wine businesses. It's imperative that as AAAV grows, we help members to accelerate their business growth and impact on the wine industry. Jeremy told me that it's an honor to be recognized by the organization and the panel of judges for the work she's doing with Jeremy Wine and Texas Wine and plans to use the grant for operational costs as they gear up for retail. There have been two different stories about Texas Wine coming out of Lubbock radio stations. The first is Lubbock radio station KFMZ 94.5. And Renee Raven asks, why isn't Lubbock getting the recognition it deserves as wine country? She says, Lubbock, where cotton is king, but is it? She says there are 4 million acres of cotton-producing land in the Lubbock area, so certainly cotton is a massive industry here. But did you know that a whopping 90% of the wine grapes grown in Texas come from the Lubbock area? If cotton is king, then wine is queen. And she goes on to list some varieties that do well in Texas, some tasting rooms that are local to Lubbock, and ends with this. Next time you think wine, think of home. We deserve the connection and the recognition. A related article ran on the Lubbock Weather Radio Station. They were promoting the recent Texas Wines, Hops, and Shops event that was just held at McPherson Cellars. And the author says, If you do attend this event, remember that every sip of wine you take is a sip of Lubbock and the hard work that goes into growing these West Texas grapes. Lubbock is known as one of the greatest growers of cotton, but a great writer once said, If cotton is king, then wine is queen. And he referred back to his colleague's article. By the way, at that Texas Wines Hops and Shops event, Farmhouse Vineyards won the People's Choice Award. They told me that they've come close to winning this award before, but fell just a few votes short. So congrats to Farmhouse and the more than 30 families who make it possible for them to do what they do. Texas Wine Lover co-owner Amy Nimick has authored an article that was just published in Texas Monthly. It's called, Out-of-State Wineries Are Moving to Texas for Cheaper Land and Friendlier Competition. The subtitle, Vintners from More Established Wine States Like New York and California Can't Help But Be Drawn to the Hill Country's Welcoming Community and More Affordable Real Estate. In it, she profiles both Serrano Wine, which is Sarah and Bryce Garrett's wine brand that started in Paso Robles before the couple moved to Texas and started making Texas wine. They're planting their Texas vineyard this in the next year, by the way. She also includes Chris Missick, who previously had a winery in New York's Finger Lakes and is about to relocate to Bernie. He plans to offer mobile bottling services, sparkling wine services, and ultimately make Texas wine. If their stories sound familiar to you, both Sarah Garrett of Serrano and Chris Missick were panelists on Amy's seminar at the Texas Hill Country Wine Symposium early this year. In the article, Monty Dixon, who's the president of Twiga and the owner of Bar Z Winery in Canyon, told Amy that some of the existing wineries are worried. He said, we don't have enough grapes being grown to support all the wineries in the state. You've got to know what you're getting into. 
but he admits that the positive part of the Texas wine scene is the people in the industry that are thriving and helping each other. Susan Aller of Fall Creek Vineyard said there's so much to learn from the traditions and experiments of the other wine regions. Collaboration alongside the vineyard research of Texas A&M, University of Texas, and Texas Tech will help propel our homegrown Texas wines onto the world stage of recognition all the sooner. Unfortunately, the social media critics have been out in full force with a lot of opinions about this article. Find the links to all these stories in the show notes at This Is Texas Wine. And that's the Texas Wine News. This is the time in the podcast when I ask you to do something for me. And there are a couple of things that you can do for me today that are free and help grow the podcast. One is to share the podcast with others. And you can do that on social media by tagging at Texas Wine Pod in your stories and posts. You can also review the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and leave a few remarks. This is especially beneficial now that my website has a review section. You can even review the podcast right there on my website. Someone named Emoji Girl did just that. She gave the pod five stars and said, Super interesting and entertaining. I found this recently and am now listening to all the past episodes. I always learn something new every episode. This is Texas Wine is my new favorite wine podcast. And finally, you can visit my website to sign up for my occasional newsletter. That's where I'll communicate with you on my recent wine events and fun finds and wine and travel. Thanks, y'all. And now for our interview. Heiko might not be top of mind when it comes to Texas wine destinations, but maybe it should be. That's where Phil Lopez opened Silver Spur Winery. I first tasted Silver Spur at a wine competition in Granbury in 2021, when their 2019 Tanat from their Gatewood Estate Vineyard won one of the top awards in the competition. Phil's a vineyard guy, and he wants to make wines that are approachable. He's not cutting any corners when it comes to quality fruit and quality wine. And because of his reputation as a grape grower, he's in demand as a vineyard consultant. This recording took place at Roots and Water in Dallas. Roots and Water is a private wine club that offers wine storage, event space, retail sales, and all kinds of special events. You might hear a little bit of what's going on in the background toward the middle of the interview. What can I say? It's a lively place. But thanks for letting us hang out and record this podcast there. And if you're interested in learning more about Roots and Water, visit rwdallas.com. Now here's my conversation with Phil. Phil Lopez, Silver Spur Winery. Yes, ma'am. Heiko, Texas. Heiko, Texas. I've been to Heiko, Texas. A couple, I pass through Heiko a lot, but occasionally I stop. And it's a cute little town. Yeah, it's come a long ways. Has it? It's come a long ways, yeah, especially in the last uh, probably six years. Yeah, since the Midland come in, the Midland Hotel came in, and uh, a couple of other guys have come in. Uh, with the mercantile, and now we got a new guy come in from Fort Worth that's invested a lot of thoughts. Uh, but I think me and the uh, me and the Midland were hotel and, and the chop house were kind of the pioneers of the start. It well, you need uh, another winery friend or two down there, we right? We have definitely do. We definitely do. I've been trying to get several guys to come in. Uh, and make it a destination instead of just me being there. I'd love to have three more there mm-hmm. or four. 
Yeah, because yeah. there's definitely plenty yeah. to do. It's just not yes. all related to wine, but Correct. everything should always be related to wine, in my opinion. Yeah. So I've been to your tasting room there, and I just missed you, I think. You were in the vineyard. Probably. Um, but before we start talking about your specific spot, why don't you take me back to how you got interested in wine? I know you're a Texan who went to California and spent a lot right. of time there. What were right. you doing, and what made you want to come back and, and uh, start a winery in Texas? Uh, uh, yeah, I was born and raised on the Gulf Coast, uh, down in Missouri County, south of Houston, in 86. Kind of was a branch manager uh, there. We were in the, in the agriculture scene down there really heavily. So kind of needed a job. Only really cowboy or ranching job I found because of the oil uh, bust at the time was in Northern California. And I went all the way from the Gulf Coast to Northern California. Culture so, shock. Big culture shock. Well, I was cowboying. I mean, it's 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 rural. And I always tell people, I thought I was a cowboy down in South Texas until I went to Northern California. Is that right? Yeah. Then I was a real, I became a real cowboy out there. Uh, desolate, no electricity, generators. People don't understand how rural Northern California is. It's probably more places off the grid than any place in the United States. Is that right? Yeah, it's just too rugged to put power in. Uh-huh. So I spent a couple of years on a big ranch. Uh, then I met a girl. That's always a story. And then <laughs> <laughs> I moved to, wound up moving to Santa Rosa, getting into construction, basically tile work. And uh, long story short, I was able to develop my own uh, uh, construction company. And in several years, about took me about 10 years. And uh, I was able to afford a place in town in Santa Rosa with my family. Was able to afford a place out on Olivet Road. That's a you know, that's a big time address. Like two miles long, like eleven wineries on it. Mm -hmm. So you know, Gary Heck was one of my neighbors. Owner Corbell uh, lived right up. You know, and so that just kind of sparked my scene. Had I was drinking some dry wines before that. Uh, only person I would. It's, you know, it kind of sounds weird being California. Only person that would drink dry wines with me was my sister when she moved to Santa Rosa. Uh, so I'd go over to her house, and I'd stop by the grocery store and buy this wine. And she goes, oh, you always pick out great wine. How do you do it? I go, well, I just pick out the store. I pick out uh, what's on sale and has the most alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> she goes, you always pick out the greatest wine. So you know, and me and her would sit and drink a bottle, and, and we would enjoy it and kind of talk about it and stuff. And then when I was able to move out to Olivet, yes, it really just, my all my neighbors, they, and they welcomed me. Uh, you know, I worked hard, and they uh, just sparked. I was able to do some different things and get involved deeply with it, and uh, and not and more because of them. They they brought me into it, mm -hmm. and then I just I just fell in love with it. Were you growing anything at we the were, time? We or? were growing some some Pinot. My first experience in growing was with Pinot. Uh, pretty frustrating. Yeah, I mean, that's really a tough one to start on. Even there. Even there, it, it, it can decide it doesn't want to play at any point. And so, yeah, so that's what I cut my teeth on. Mm -hmm. uh, Chardonnay. Uh, my neighbor, uh, Corky Dino, uh, had a big, you know, like, like he had like 18 acres of Chardonnay. And and so he was, you know, 
three doors down from me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, I helped them a lot and stuff. That's great. So yeah, uh, Randy Pitts, uh, Harvest Moon. That's who I wound up running with a lot. You know, mm-hmm. uh, everybody that come into town, we always hung out at Randy's. Uh, we went everywhere else. We always wound up back there. Nice. You know, just the style uh, of wine, and that's uh, that we've. I found that's what I really liked was my style of wine. Mm-hmm. Kind of, you know, that's where I developed a, a style that I liked. And, and that's not that's, just to drink, but to try to, to, just to drink, make too. But uh, that's, and that's what we've duplicated here. That's what we brought. That's what I was seeing was kind of when I, okay, so fast forward, I came, moved back to Texas about 10 years ago, brought my kids with me. My son was already here going to college in Weatherford, but then brought my daughter here. She graduated high school in Heiko, uh, bought a place and, you know, started doing the wine scene here, traveling around, especially in our area, uh, the Heiko area, the Erath County. You know, started doing taste, you know, going tasting wine and stuff. And I was going, man, I, I just, I, I was just uh, kind of looking for. It was a style of wine I really wasn't familiar with, so I was trying to figure out what's happening, what's going on here. I mean, there's varieties that I was familiar with, but I didn't really understand uh, what the what the, how their end product wound up the way it does, you know. And I because I, I was just tasting, wasn't really involved in what they were doing. So then I said, "Well, I can do something like this. I need my. I see my my style was uh, absent. What is your style? How do you describe well, it? I think it's more of a Tuscan, uh, neutral barrel Tuscan soft." Fruit forward, uh, I call it drinkable. Ready to go. I, ready to go. You know, I call it real drinkable. Uh, that's why I got. I talk to people in the taste room. I just kind of describe it that way. You know, nothing overbearing. Uh, farmers version. You know, the Tuscans are awesome farmers. You know, they 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 promote fruit, and I'm I'm all about promoting my fruit. That's why I don't really do any blends. I do single varietals. Mm-hmm. I want to show off my fruit really really proud of my fruit and, and so you're trying to not have super high extraction to where you're getting a ton of bitterness and tannins correct. i guess like keeping the tannins really neutral uh in their place uh kind of complement instead of taking over no big oak really minimal oak we let the fruit talk to us if it's, it's if it's overbearing it needs some hey we'll put it on it but if it if it's going to override it and trying to make something it's not then we kind of i try to keep it uh, let the fruit be the focal point. I know you're happiest in the vineyard. Oh yeah, no, it's my happy place. How do you start in the vineyard to make the kind of wine you want to make? Uh, a lot of work, a lot of devotion, and so that's uh, so where go back to where I started this, and then I kind of opened the tasting room. I was just going to kind of do some California stuff from Randy and. Uh, stuff that we had in our estate vineyard out there and bring it here and get a little tasting room and not get into this big, I didn't want to get into the big thing again. I kind of knew what that entailed uh, into the full-blown production and everything. And so we opened the tasting room. We were doing some California stuff. Then uh, I found out real quick, uh, Texans like Texas wine. Yeah. And so... And then I've out of the blue, I just got a call. I just opened the taste room probably for like a month, and then I got a call. I mean, we were helping another vineyard get uh, in place. 
they were building it. And I had a friend of mine, and I knew a guy that was in charge of putting it in, and we were kind of going out there checking it out. And then I had another uh, owner of a vineyard from Comanche, another vineyard, ha- another winery had it, and they called me and said, "Hey, would you be interested in leasing my vineyard?" And I said, "Well." I, I didn't know what all the politics, that's brand new to the scene. I know all the politics involved in it. So I wound up uh, taking that vineyard over, leasing that vineyard. It was established. And then I found out real quick where the disconnect was Uh-oh. Uh, from the wine I'd been tasting in Texas, from the wine I was used to drinking. Okay, and tell I, me more. I found the disconnect was the farming. Okay. The difference, uh, the disconnect was, uh, it's super hard. It's really hard. And labor intensive, right? Correct. And there's no labor that, you know, there's no educated labor here, uh, in our area. I mean, I have to train all my guys or do it myself at, at that point. And it was like overwhelming. Mm -hmm. I mean, hard. I mean, nothing, I mean, I, I always told everybody that California is like a gentleman's rancher compared to here. You know, you just throw it out there and take a little care of it, throw a little sulfur on it. And they're having a little rough year this year, but uh, nothing what we go through here. And tell me specifically where the labor comes in. Is it how often you're making passes through the vineyard from pruning to, I mean, what are the kind of big components of where the labor? It's like we start off every year. Yeah, we start off pruning. First, we start off weed management early in the the spring, spraying, you know, pre-emergent, you know, trying to keep a hold of the weeds. Uh, then we start right into pruning, which is a huge deal, uh, you know, done right. Mm-hmm. Done right's a huge deal. Then playing the weather game at pruning, you know, are we, are, you know, uh, are we going to pre-prune? Is it budding too early? We need to stop it or what, what we got, what do we have going, you know, making those decisions and then finding the labor to help do it. Yeah. And it's gotten better every year for me. Uh, we're really efficient now. I mean, going into our sixth year of farming here, we're 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 super efficient. We can we can we can get. I have a crew now. We can go through it. I wish I had that in the beginning, but it was good because I understood what those other guys were going through mm-hmm. and why the wine tasted or was made in the style the way it was, or why it was uh, trials that they were having to go yeah. through. Or, you know, having to get fruit from a long distance and their priority was more, uh, you know, and I understood now why the vineyard was like fifth in priority or fourth in priority to their whole operation, which to me, it's always. It should be number one, right? What what could be more important? Always been number one. You know, I, I, so I had to wrap my head around that and I, and until I started farming it myself, I didn't understand that. Mm -hmm. Now I got it. Now I understand their, uh. Why? Obviously, I'm going to not ask you to be super specific here, but can you tell me some of the wines that you may have tasted early that weren't hitting the right notes for you? And you said it's because of what was going on in the vineyard. How does that show in the wine? Are we talking like VA or? Some VA, uh, a lot of pH problems. Okay. Uh, yeah. A lot of a lot of throwing, a lot of tartaric in, you know, killing the freshness. Yeah. Uh, mainly it was more of a freshness thing, more of a, a pH, probably a pH thing. You could tell, you know, it was fruit that had probably uh, sat in the heat for a while. 
or been in on a open top flatbed trailer for five hours or some was picked probably you know trying to find labor and harvest so, you know we go to the the next thing you know trying to get it off it could have come off vine. late or yeah, yeah it come off you know like some of it was picked probably one day and it they pushed into the winery and then went and picked the rest because they didn't have enough labor and then it goes it sat for two and a half days where they got it all together and pressed mm-hmm. it off just things yeah you know just just Things at the vineyard cures and when it's close proximity. You've got a vineyard close to Heiko that you... We, we've got uh, five different vineyards. Five sites. Close. Yeah, okay. five, five, we're farming about uh, 18 to 22 acres. It depends. We're, we're planting new stuff. Yeah, we're, that's our focal point. I've got a crew. We install vineyards. Uh, we manage vineyards. Uh, so that's that's our our bread and butter. That's that is our focus. Yeah, that's so. All your grapes are coming from those vineyards that you manage. You're not every, buying anything nope. from High Plains or we anywhere else. We don't, we don't sell. We sell a lot of grapes. We sell a lot of grapes to other wineries. Okay, that is our probably uh, not as big as the winery itself. There are tasting room, but it's a it's a good mm-hmm. uh, income factor on what we do. In our whole operation. I should probably know this, but are your vineyards within the Texas Hill Country AVA? Uh, no. Well, no, that's where we're trying to, we're, I mean, we've been on the phone this week. I've been on the phone with this week trying to, we're working on our own AVA. We've got several ideas. We're, we're north of that. It cuts off at land passes. So we're north of that. We're more in the central, uh, we call it the Brazos drainage, the central district of the Brazos drainage, or we're in the, some people call it the cross plains. Okay. In the Cross Plains District. We haven't got that established. I mean, we're working hard on that, though. I mean, all my vineyard owners are all adamant about getting it going. That's exciting. Uh, so it's a huge thing. We're working uh, with several people trying to get that done. Yeah. I know uh, that's a big project and takes no, a long time. No, it takes a couple years, yeah. you know, getting the boundaries and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So when you came to Texas and you realized that you're going to get into the vineyard business— you took over a vineyard that was already planted to what varieties? Those varieties actually were uh, Cab, Cabernet Sauvignon, uh, Merlot, Chardonnay, and Viognier. So and what's your threes. opinion on those? Because I'm not sure I've seen those particular wines in your <laughs> And portfolio. it was older. It was older, you know, and it was kind of in the, you know. I work a lot with agri-science, Texas AgriScience, Michael Cook and Justin and all those guys. Mm-hmm. I and when they put that vineyard in, it was kind of what they knew, and at the time, and and what we knew about the Texas wine industry, and what grew. So that's what they, you know. And I, I seen, you know, I seen Temecula when I was in California. I seen Temecula kind of go to the same thing. They planted stuff down there in the early two thousands, late nineties uh, that we grew up in Sonoma County. Well, that played its play. And now they don't grow any of that. They grow their own stuff that they. It's good. Well, Texas had to go through the same thing. I think everybody tries to duplicate that, and I think that's what we tried to do. And we didn't have the varieties or the knowledge of what we do now. And so, uh, uh, I mean, cab, I did cab the first two years. It was made a really nice little wine. Uh, so most of my clientele in Heiko, I'd say 90% of it is Metroplex, day okay. trippers. Yeah, coming uh, through. Yeah, I mean that's most of my stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so introducing them to Texas wine and a Texas cab, I just could not get over the comparison. Yeah, they wanted to so much compare it to, 
you know, to a Napa cab, you know, yeah. and I'm like, it's, it's totally different. not going to happen. You know, yeah. it ripens too fast, you know, it, it can't hang on the mind. It's too much heat and stuff here. So, it, and I said, just take it as it is, you know, but they, it's it just hard to get. So I just started selling it. I had a guy who loves it. Mm-hmm. He loves it. Uh, he does some different things with it. Same yeah. thing with my Merlot. It, it was already planted. I grew some nice Merlot out there. Had a guy that loved it. I was never going to do Merlot once I had the Tenant and Tempranillo on my shelf. I was never going to, you know, we grew it. it. It did well for us. So now when people ask you to consult on their vineyard projects, I'm sure there are a lot of different oh, yeah. components. And, you know, I, I want to ask you, where do you even start? But specifically, on the since we're talking about different varieties, what what varieties are you excited about for your region? So what we're doing now, I mean, we're just now. I mean, Tanat does. We're su- super super excited about our Tanat. Uh, we grow Tanat in three different vineyards. It all does well, and it's all they're all a little different with their terroir. Uh, so uh, that we do Alianico. Alianico is really really coming on. It's a it's a really versatile. Uh, we're growing some Monte Monte Pucciano. Uh, it's it, it it's a late butter, which is great. It's not mm-hmm. right on the edge of wanting to bud a little early for us because of the frost. Costs us a little work. Uh, we we learned. I mean, I, I tell you that first vineyard we had that we had, we had the Viognier. Uh, there it really wasn't producing very well, so we pulled it out. I talked the owners into pulling it out, and. Uh, we planted Sangio. Hmm. Uh, had one of my biggest mistakes. Oh, was that right? Oh, yeah. You, you huge, weren't pleased with that? Huge it. mistake. We never got a crop off of it. It, it froze. It, it frosts oh. every year. It, it budded before my Chardonnay. Really? Every year. And it just, one year we got, we had a, like a half a crop. And it just would freeze. It would just bud too early. So, it's great. Great variety. Great everything but it's just not uh and we see that it bloods it buds in our area it buds way too early so i mean cost people cost me cost them mm-hmm. a lot of money a lot of uh, it's a huge mistake but i learn it's one of those learning deals if you're yeah. not you're not making mistakes you're not learning that's true so you know, for white I, grapes you've got chardonnay still planted uh yeah we've got a little bit of chardonnay it's taken a pretty good hit the freeze whacked it pretty hard we have some new clones coming in uh, next week that we're going to try. Of Chardonnay? Of Chardonnay, yeah. They're uh, new, more cold-resistant, heat-tolerant uh, uh, new clone that they're sending me. We're going to do a little experiment with them, and uh, we're actually on the 20th. It'll be the first time in Central Texas we're, par- we're planting a Caminera. Yeah. Which is the new Walker Pierce's uh right. There's some of that yeah. out in the East Texas too. Yeah, and there's some down in South Texas, but okay. it'd be the first one in the heat and then in us where we're uh, uh we can really get after it and see what it's actually gonna do. Cool. And put it in the put it through its paces. Yeah. Good. Yeah. So it's so interesting. Everyone thinks Texas is so hot, but I mean, you really have to farm to the freezes specifically. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's what we really have to watch on our shallow rooted. Our Alianico really wants to stay shallow rooted, uh, so we have to watch it on there. We we have to change it. We're changing a different planting technique this spring. What we are planting, we're 
we've kind of uh, kind of gone back to where uh, look at some of the way they plant in Bordeaux because they get some cold weather. Sure. And so the way they do, you know, smaller holes kind of make the force their roots down uh, toward the bottom instead of making a big hole where they have a chance to come up and Spread J-root. Mm-hmm. And we've been pulling some uh, Alianico out lately uh, from Pierce's. We pull some out every year. Uh, and we're noticing that they're really, really J-rooted. And so they didn't really, really struggle to go mm-hmm. down. They wanted to stay on the surface. They come okay. up and then actually they J-root where the, the, the roots actually start coming up toward Above the surface. Ground. Oh, wow. And they, when, once they hit air, they're, they're what they call air budded. Super vulnerable to Correct. freezes. Correct. So we learned that out. We learned that by pulling them out from pierces. And we, so we had to change our water technique. We water everything a little, di- everything requires water a little different. You know, every variety, even though it's on the same rootstock, uh-huh. they all uh-huh. require water different. Yeah. And I'm guessing you have different soil types in your different vineyards. Several different. I mean, well, not several. I'd say there's two basic ones that we have that we farm in. Uh, one is the sandy loam with the clay base. And then we have the limestone, the fractured rock that we put mm-hmm. in. Uh, fractured rock gives more minerality. Uh, and the sandy loam's a little easier, a little more, more clean. I like the fruit. That's way more, it's a little bit more clean in the sandy loam. So winemaking wise, some of the varieties that you mentioned have, like are known for having a ton of tannins, like right. Tanat and Alianico. I mean, those are both kind of monster, they can be. Can be, can be. So tell me about your technique, because if you're going for more drinkability and that seems to go well in your tasting room, how do you approach that? Uh, we first started, we harvest a little earlier. We don't let it get that big. And sometimes it's forced. If we're sitting at 22 and a half, 23 bricks, and the profile, we love that profile, and we love the freshness, and we're going to get two inches of rain next day, next week, oh, yeah, it's coming off. It's coming off. You know, sure. if it gets rained on, we have to spray it. And then you're kind of just, to me, it's just another notch down on your on your purity on your freshness and that's that's uh, the freshness is more important to me than 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 the bricks mm-hmm. and the bricks when we pick our well you taste our rosé our rosés are always we pick our rosés at 19 to 20 bricks every year everybody's like what are you doing i'm like hey it's extra labor yeah we have to pick it twice or three times but uh it, it's it's the proper way in my opinion i know? i agree 100 yeah. percent. and then you don't have to worry about over acidifying later, which is Correct. what you had a problem with some of the wines you were tasting Correct. early on. Yeah. 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 Gets away from our style. Mm-hmm. Keeping it clean and fresh is the main thing. And keeping there, you know, cleanliness at the winery, that's a huge factor. That's a huge factor. I learned that a long time ago, California. I mean, I washed a lot of <laughs> disinfected and washed and uh, power washed with heat, you know, over and over and wondered why. And now, yeah, you have to appreciate he- that now. It's not just for aesthetics, it's for mm, the wine no, quality, it, right? It is, totally for the wine quality. Where do you make the wine? So we right now, you know, where we started, and I really wanted to focus on farming. So that's where I put all my focus and my money. A, a little tasting room. Uh, and we did have equipment ordered right when I first started. And not knowing Texas and trying to figure it out. It was going to come here like eight, uh, middle August, you know, and uh, this was in 2017, getting ready to harvest Chardonnay. 
It was beautiful. Uh, so I'm, I'm like, this isn't going to, I mean, it's coming around the July, the first or fourth. I'm like, this isn't going to make it till that stuff's here. So I start scrambling, asked a couple guys to help me out. And we kind of went back and forth and then happened to hear about Wes and Mike, Michael at Sage's Vintage in Nacogdoches. And first year they were just starting. I asked them, hey, I got this shard pulling off. And they're like, oh, man, I, yeah, shard, yeah, that's a, you know, it's a crazy one to start where we're at, too. They're starting, you know, they they go, they wanted, they were going to do a bunch of Blanc de Bois and stuff, you know. And I said, I go, I have this shard. So I wound up taking it to them. Uh, they did an awesome job. I love those they did, guys. They did an awesome job to answer your question. I've kind of stuck with that. Then they became one of my clients. And now instead of having 10 or 12 clients, I have two now for all my grapes. Nice. And they're one of them. That's great. They, they probably buy, they probably, they buy 50% of my fruit and then Dr. Bob at Benny Branch buys the rest of it. Awesome. So I have, I don't, it cut my, wonder where my fruit's going to go to not having enough for Yeah. It. Well, yeah. and the logistics <laughs> of managing all the relationships with the people that want yeah. the fruit, I imagine, is yeah. exhausting. And then it, it, it freed me up to, to concentrate on my farming. And they do a great job. And I had, they were totally both of them are totally they both do wine for me they've both done wine for me in the past i do little batches stuff that i can handle mm-hmm. i have a little i have a little crush pad i have some tank i have a barrels and i have my own little stuff set up i do experimental stuff and i do special little batches i i, I do on my own uh but the bolt the heavy hitting i i use Good. those guys I've, and I've so do it. they, I mean, I don't know exactly how that relationship works. Do they make things to your specifications? hundred percent. Okay. They've been great to work with. Good. I mean, uh, especially with, uh, Bob, you know, Bob's kind of, he's got his team, great team. They do their stuff. I have some, I have input with that down there. Uh, but with Michael and Wes, I have a lot. I have a lot, way more. Yeah. We've, we've learned a lot together. Yeah. Good. Yeah. We've, we've learned, you know, I'm, I'm uh, not their typical, probably typical customer. I'm I'm a pain to them. Um, well, I mean, <laughs> in a good way. They've exciting. been great. They've been great. We just we just jumped off the deep end like last week. We've got a bunch of equipment coming. Oh, is that right? <laughs> Where are you going to put it? Uh, we've got. I've got a couple different. I mean, it's going to be either at my my place where I live. I have big big shop there or be at the tasting room. Okay. We have, we're going to expand out the back. We were going to put a patio on her, but you know, with the, the way the Texas now, they quadrupled the winery permit costs. Oh yeah. Uh, so now it's probably, we'll do, you know, uh, we'll do it probably at the tasting room. Okay. That we've had, we've had room. Yeah. We have room to do it there. Not nothing huge. You know, I hear, you know, people wanting to get in the wine business. Hey, I got to invest a million dollars into equipment and stuff. And I'm like, Randy Pitts at Harvest Moon, he had a it's a three thousand square foot production facility. I mean, we made beautiful wine there. Yeah, it can you be know, done. It can be done. It can be done. You don't have to have a ten ton press and a you know all this stuff. Uh, you know all this. Yeah. It's just great to have that. If, but you don't have to. I mean, yeah. we 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 did this, we did stuff and we mm-hmm. produced. You know, we wanted to be a huge thousand case a year deal, mm-hmm. you know, and that's all high end. And that's where, that's what we're going to do. 
And you're yeah. part of the Cross Timbers Wine Trail? We're in part of, yeah. Yeah, we're part of Cross Timbers. I've been pretty for- fortunate in this thing, and uh, we're running out, just not having enough stock, especially right. especially the last two years. Probably the last two years. Yeah, first three years were pretty tough. Uh, you know, I uh, had to... When first open, we had to come to the Dallas Farmers Market every weekend to, to sell wine because, uh, you know, in our area, we weren't really known because we only have dry wine. We, do, we don't do nothing but dry wine. We don't do any sweet wine. Uh, 90% of the people that walked through our door was looking for sweet wine in Heiko at that time. Hopefully, we, you've converted some to be dry we, wine drinkers. It, it, I, think the whole, I think the whole Texas wine industry uh, converted them, you know? I think the... I think COVID kind of converted them. Could I be, really do. yeah. Well, and I I feel like you may prefer sweet wine, but some of these lovely red wines that are easy drinking that aren't going to, you know, rip your face off with tannins Correct. and have a nice fruit, I think that you can convert somebody with that. Yeah, we convert them all the time. Yeah. yeah we And then actually just teaching them how to how to drink it. I mean, that's a huge thing. I I I come to the tasting room. I, I'm there a couple times a weekend. I pop in. That's the first thing I see is people just don't, I mean, they it's not sweet tea and they're drinking it like sweet and they're wondering how come they're not having the experience. Uh, so we just help them out a little bit. Yeah. Just a little bit of education goes a long ways. Yeah. Just sitting down, just kind of just, okay, hey, we're, you know, uh, going to help you out a little bit. And then they're converted. And I think the Ital- you mentioned the Italians, but the Italians in many places around the world have the right idea when they pair their wine with their meals, because I think that that is the most Correct. enjoyable way to drink Correct. wine, personally. Correct. You still in your tasting room sell some California wines labeled as California, some, some Texas. It's either 100% Texas or it's 100% from Harvest Moon from that we do okay. that from our, that's the only two we do. We Okay. It's all of our estate stuff that Randy has out there, or it's all of our estate stuff that we do here. That's it. That's it. Gotcha. No blending, separate, hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, luckily, luckily, I was able to do that this fall. I run completely out of Texas wine. It's it outsells my California stuff, four to one. How interesting! I'm glad that people are looking for Texas wine. No, it's, it's been great. I mean, it, but they bought me out. I never, I, I never dreamed I'd be selling this much Texas wine. Never, three years ago, four years. I, I'm gonna be a, I'm gonna be a, five hundred, eight hundred case guy. Remember, no, surpass we're, that. We're in, the, we're in the fifteen hundred case a year, and we're trying to keep up. That's why I had to cut back on my wine on the wine festivals. Uh, had it really, I mean, it just kind of drained me. We had to limit our wine club. We had to kind of shut it off. Uh, yeah, it was, and it's not very big, but it, we to us it was it's big. And uh, do you want to hold on to more of your fruit so you can bottle more and sell yeah, more personally? That's, that's, that's kind of what. Step. That's kind of what. That's our next step. Sorry, Doctor Bob. Yeah. Oh yeah, we'll still work with him. You know, he's he's an awesome. He's yeah. been a great mentor. He's been an awesome guy for me. He's uh, and so, a great been a great a great friend. So people yeah. need to to come to Heiko to see what it's all about. Yeah. yeah. Do you have anything um, that you're particularly excited to get in front of people when your new wines come out? Yeah, I've got a 2020 Tanat 
Uh, it's going to be a little different for me. It's a bigger boulder. Uh, it was 26 bricks when we, 26 and a half bricks when we picked it. And is that a response to the drought? Uh, there was no drought that year. That's a 20, 20. We had a little bit of rain. Uh, wasn't like, yeah, 20, uh, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't really a drought that year. We had, we had decent rain. Uh, it was not as hot. We didn't have hardly any hundred degree weather that, so it hung longer. Okay. It was able to mature uh, on the vine a lot longer. We even tried to do uh, a late harvest that year, but the bugs got it, so. Mm. Yeah, we had so we had we had a lot of fruit that year. It was a good year for us. Yeah. yeah. And the name Silver Spur. How did you decide on that? Uh, I don't know. It it was supposed to be Silver Creek, which <laughs> was names of my companies and everything. I've, I've had several companies in California. I was kind of when God is going to carry that namesake, it's the name of my ranch, my place that I have, and I really ranch, but it's place that I have and but it was taken in the uh, legally legally it's taken well a spur is more graphic for your labels yeah so and good. then so you know we're like oh you know and it's going to be silver something so we, we're kicking around all these ideas dove you know all these other well we're we're big I mean we have some great cowboys and I'm I'm in the cowboy realm in a in a way uh I rope and have horses and cows and uh, I've lived that lifestyle all my life, and uh, and then we have some great old uh, professional rodeo cowboys that live in our area. We're kind of a cowboy town, known for Billy the Kid, for Heiko's, known for Billy the Kid. I said, hey, let's just go something cowboyish, you know, so we went spur. Nice. And it wound up being a marketing genius because people, we have a lot of travelers from Nebraska or Ohio or all over Canada, they're going. We want Texas wine. They're going. That's Texas wine right there. Nobody can doubt that. That's yeah. Wine it looks comes like from it. Texas, yeah. you know. Perfect. And so that was just by accident, but we weren't planning on that. But that's yeah. the way it came out. You have some opinions about one hundred percent Texas. Mm-hmm. So yeah, my opinion on the on the hundred percent Texas labeling law that's coming out that started this year, hundred percent, and I'm hundred percent behind. 100% Texas wine label. Uh, totally agree with it. Uh, no qualms with, with that. Uh, the only thing I'm wanting, I think, uh, before we go that far, I think before we should have gone that far, uh, is that we need more fruit to stay. Our fruit can be a real big problem, for especially for the little guys. The little guys up and come in like me. We're, I mean, I don't think I'm going to have to worry about it. Uh, some of my customers that's getting fruit, they might have to worry about it. But, uh, but there's a little guy, a bunch of little guys that are coming trying to do a good job. Uh, th- th- that fruit availability is kind of tied up from some of the bigger guys, you know. And uh, if you look at the numbers, and we're, we're all about trying to get more Texans to drink more Texas wine. Well, if we look at the numbers, I would say I'm going to give it a good, I want to boost it a little bit. I would say 30% of the drinkers here in Texas, if only 30% are drinking Texas wine, 
we only have enough fruit to supply 50% of the wineries in the state. Hmm. So we're, you know, if we're going to do that, we need to boost production yeah. in our vineyards. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for, hey, if we're going to, I'm all about the 100% label. But if we're going to do that, we need to boost production for everybody, mm-hmm. not just for a select few, for everyone. I was glad to know that you are identified as a resource for people looking to plant vineyards. Correct. And you did a seminar of some kind with that um, concept in mind. I imagine it's an overwhelming feat to know even where to start, where to where to begin. I mean, soil samples and layout and bringing in all the labor and the whole bit. So um, what do you, how do you counsel people? I mean, it's a long-term commitment too. It's not like people are going to start turning a profit the next year. No. Uh, And you know, that's, I'm not college educated or uh, I just, and I teach, I I think I, what I say, I teach them a more practical farming version. We revert to a book when we have to, I give them a practical version of it. Uh, what you can do, what you can't do, uh, instead of uh, being super technical, uh, and you try to go by the book, it's overwhelming. I see a lot of owners. I walk in a lot of vineyards, and I just they go, we just can't do this no more. And I go, what are you trying to do? And, you know, well, let's bring us in to help you prune, and then we'll, we'll guide you on the rest of it. But this isn't a golf course. You don't have to make it look like a golf course. It, you know, give it some practicality mm-hmm. of it, and it relieves their that so much pressure they've been put on by a book or other guys that have, you know, Sam, you've got it. They give them a regiment, you know, give them a bill for five thousand dollars for chemicals every year, and and you have to do this and you have to do that and you have to, and it just it, they get overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And that's and when I walked in when I walk into a place that they're having a problem, ninety percent of the time it's that. And I we just kind of, all right, let's slow let's back it down. Let's back it down and and let's uh do some practicality here. And let's do what you can and then let's bring us in to help you or or not, or and then we'll or we'll show you the what the ways to go. Uh which is more doable. Yeah. Yeah. In your area, are many people putting in brand new vineyards, or are they mainly replanting vineyards? They're, they're, we're doing both. We're doing both, but that's what I said. It's I have I have some great people that want to put in some great vineyards right now. It's just expensive, you know. We're into twenty to twenty five thousand dollars an acre to get started. That's a big hunk, you know. Pipes come down. There's some materials that have come down. Plants really never moved. Uh, they they're the same that they were four years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know they really haven't moved. But some of the infrastructure stuff, you know, wells have gone from twenty eighteen to twenty thousand to thirty two thousand. Last one I just priced. Uh, I wonder yeah. how that compares to like deep hill country and how that compares to high plains. I mean, I don't know what the, the materials are the same, right? Yeah. I mean, maybe transportation yeah. would be slightly different. But I'm just yeah. curious. They, they have a little bit bigger areas. So it's a little less expensive probably in the high plains. Uh, her, we're, you know, in our area, uh, you know, a, a 10 acre vineyard is, is pretty good size mm-hmm. for us. You know, that's, that's average size. Yeah. Uh, so, 
then it's narrowed down. You got high fence. You know they don't. Then that's an extra cost. Really high plains doesn't deal with. We have you know we have the high fence everything. So that's a big that's a big cost because of deer. Yes, deer, deer, and, and the other varmints that come through. So. <laughs> so when you moved back from California, I don't know if you knew you were going to be battling the weather like you have been. I had no idea. Yeah, the first couple of years was actually not bad, and then all of a sudden, this what could happen happens, you know. But you have to have that farmer's mentality. If you don't, it's not for the faint of heart, and you you have to, you know, you know, pray and. Hope for a little rain, and then we'll do the rest. Is there anything that you want to say about the Texas wine industry and its potential? You know, COVID was good for me uh, in our location. Uh, Bosque County and Hamilton County, they're right next to it. They're probably the most populated in Texas of absentee owners. Uh, so a lot of people, That's if we have an industry in that area, a lot of the friends of mine that they all work for is people that own, that live in the Metroplex, but they own ranches, big, big ranches, small ranch, you know, property out there. And they all do maintenance for them. You know, that's kind of our industry, build fence or, you know, build a house for them. Uh, so during COVID, uh, and then they would, when they left the city, they would come spend the weekend at their ranch house or their property, and then they would go back. Well, when COVID came, uh, you know, cities were pretty locked down, pretty hard. Yeah. Well, we were rural. We were, they were coming out, buying everything at our grocery store because we had stuff. So when COVID came, it forced those people to come and spend prolonged periods at their ranches. Well, then they came to town. So those are my guys. Those were my drinkers. You know, those are yeah. my dry wine. You know, they're so they found me. And they realized what they've been missing out yeah, on all this they, time. Yeah, they found us, and that's what blew us up in our sales, and it's and that's what blew our wine club up. And you know, the cold COVID thing was actually was really good for me. And you didn't uh, do anything differently as a winery; it was just word of mouth it, it and was, foot traffic. Yes, we just you know, and that guy told his neighbor that lived in Dallas about us or Fort Worth, and then that guy told this guy. And next thing we know, we have all this. We have this. Uh, that's our local clientele mm -hmm. now, you know, and then this guy. And then the Heiko's done just a great job on promoting the city. Uh, Isn't there a big event? There. Um, the Steak Cook-Off. Steak Cook-Off. Texas Steak Cook-Off, yeah. Is that yeah. a fun deal? Have it's you a, done that? It's a crazy deal. They shut the whole town down, uh, be anywhere. I've seen as many as... Like 6,500 people there. Is that right? Uh, since COVID, they had to shut down for a couple of years. They're fired. Last year, they fired it back up. I think they had about 4,000 people there last year. Um, it, it's good. Yeah. It's so if you fun. haven't already been to Heiko, that might be a weekend you either want to go to or that you want to avoid. avoid depending. Yeah, yeah. Either one just depends on what you want to do. Yeah. If you like a lot of people walking shoulder to shoulder, come on down. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, but it's a good time. It's a great time for the city. Yeah. We have a, we have a blast. Third weekend in May. And I love what you're doing and the focus on quality wines and that you're bringing a, a farming first approach to it all because that's that's what's important when yeah. we're talking about this agricultural product that we all love. Yeah. I, said, I just would like to, a lot of wine drinkers I see, you know, come in taste room and they're drinking wine. They have no idea how much agriculture's into that bottle of wine. They have no idea. 
And I'm telling them, come spend a weekend with me and you'll appreciate that. Yeah. You know, is you know, we're, we're in the vineyard. I'm in the vineyard every day. One of them, maybe two of them every day. We're, we're, we're buried into these things. You know, we're doing studies, uh, Texas AgriLife. Uh, we're, 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 uh, bringing on some new techniques of, uh, different, we, but we spend all winter, me and my guys spent all winter building equipment for the winery. We built a undervine mower ourselves uh, from scratch just so we can try to eliminate some of the, the herbicides. Uh, it's really important. So we're, we've really gone into trying to practice some regenerative stuff that we're, that we're implementing. We started implementing them last fall, and then we're going into them heavy with the we pruned all this year on the moon phase. Work? Wow, full biodynamic, huh? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we need to get some of those little baby sheep that yeah. are too short to reach the grapes, but yeah. they get underneath. Yeah, the little. The, uh, <laughs> so we're 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 you know we but we still have our conventional tools that we need. I, I don't think we could ever go full full bore, but we can help out. You know, trying to keep the cycle going. And trying not to hurt with the microbes and stuff like that. So we're 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 really practicing that year. With our mowers working great, our tillers working great. That we made. Uh, it's going to cut down on a lot of herbicides, a little bit more labor, uh, but it, it's it's doing a great job. I mean, it was worth spending that time all, all winter in our shop, cutting and trying and taking, and bringing it back and tearing it up and bringing it back and and building it over again until we until we finally uh, perfected it. That's great. Uh, it just helps us helps us out, helps the vineyard out, helps the sustainability. You know, we're trying to get trying to get that as much as we can. Uh, you know, the the guys today they're we're doing uh, they're out burning the vines uh, that we our clippings from from mm-hmm. pruning, and we're going to put them out. We're going to put the ash out this year oh, for the cool. first time. You know, see how it works. Just trying to practice. Uh, Get some data, mm-hmm. you know, where we're going to go with it. I have, you know, we're going to plant another, help a guy plant a vineyard in Cleburne. Uh, he's all about biodynamic, regenerative farming. His whole right? farm set up that way, and he wants his vineyard run that way. And I'm like, wow, we'll try. Okay, <laughs> we'll, we'll give it a whirl, you know. Uh, we'll try it. We'll, we'll, we'll stand on it the best we can. Well, I don't know if your customers are asking about that kind of stuff yet, but if not, I bet oh, they will no. in the years to come. No, it's coming. Yeah, it's coming. Wow, it's it's definitely it's definitely on its way. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I'm glad that you're. And we're trying ahead. to get ahead of the curve. You know, that's what we're trying to did a better technique of growing a plant, even planting this year. Uh, I went to Twigger this year. All the nursery guys, I was throwing my idea about around about how planting this new, doing a new kind of technique of planting and trimming some more off the roots of our rootstock mm-hmm. before we plant it and get it deeper and headed get the roots headed down get them safe because i mean who knows we might be snowmageddon every other year now who knows what's gonna happen i don't think we planted for that i know i didn't plant for that five years ago right. four years ago we have to now we, we have a we know it can happen our permafrost was down you know about four inches wow. which is crazy for central texas yeah, so. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. Oh, it's my pleasure.
Thanks, Phil. And by the way, after we stopped recording, he mentioned that they hand harvest all that fruit. Stay tuned for demerits and gold stars. Toast of Texas just happened, and it was a great day celebrating Texas wine and wineries. The folks at Wine and Food Foundation did a great job with the event, and they made an extra special outreach effort that's worthy of a gold star. They contacted all the chefs that they've worked with or hoped to and invited them to the event and even gave them a discount code. They encouraged the chefs to come out and taste about 100 Texas wines all in one place. I hope Chef and Small Yay Outreach is part of all future Texas wine festivals and events. And by the way, I met a restaurant owner there at the event who told me that he's planning to track down at least one of the new Texas wines for his restaurant. Cheers to that. There are two demerits this week. One goes out to the commemorative bottles of wine that are being sold to honor the 2022 world champion Houston Astros. This offering is a collaboration between the Astros and Manos Wine. Perhaps you'd like to toast the Houston Astros with a California Sauvignon Blanc or a California Cabernet Sauvignon or a California Sweet Rosé or a sparkling wine with no indication of where it's from. I know these licensing deals are lucrative. Otherwise, why would the proud Houston Astros settle for California wines to celebrate their season? If Texas wine is good enough for a presidential inauguration, and that was way back in 2005, it's certainly good enough for our 2022 world champion Houston Astros. And my second demerit goes to the hail that has impacted a number of vineyards in the hill country and in north and central Texas. Hail season just bites. Well, that's it for this episode. I'll be back in two weeks with an interview with Michael Barton of Hilmi Cellars. Get in touch. You can send your feedback, questions, or ideas for future episodes. You can email me at texaswinepod at gmail.com. And don't forget all the episodes that you might have missed. There's good stuff in every one. If this podcast resonates with you, please consider supporting it by going to the website and clicking support the podcast. That's where you can donate virtual Texas wine, which is actually just a donation to my podcasting expenses. Thanks to my recent donors, Dan and Brad. And thanks for my continuing donor, John, who buys me a glass of wine after every podcast. I sure appreciate it. You can find all the details at thisistexaswine.com. Finally, thanks to Texas Wine Lover for promotional assistance. Texas Wine Lover is here to help wine lovers discover more Texas wines. They're also a resource for the wine industry. TXWineLover.com has a complete list of all the vineyards in our state. So if you're a winemaker looking for grapes, use this list to find out which vineyards are growing the grapes you're interested in. That's at TXWineLover.com and click on Vineyards to see a list or view vineyards on a map. Cheers, y'all. Cheers.